Good afternoon, dear listeners. You are tuned into CJSR FM 88.5. This is Moving Radio. I'm your host, Christian Zip, and join me, please, won't you, for the next one and a half hour as we take a look at local Canadian and independent cinema. Well, today we're going to be shining our light nice and bright on the Global Visions Film Festival. That's right, we've got four films to cover. It's Being Ginger, Shred Island, 30 Ghosts, and Cyber Seniors. So four different interviews based on the Global Visions Film Festival screenings. So let's not waste any time, people. Let's get at her. Is it's 30 solid minutes of GVFF coverage. There's this group of guys walking past me. One of them had all the signs of going through chemotherapy. As he passed me, he pointed at me to his friends and said, well, at least I'm not ginger. So I'm making a film about being ginger. <laughs> Thank you. I'm specifically looking for a woman who likes men with red hair. Like you're not just ginger. Joining me on the phone today is one of the filmmakers who's going to be part of the Global Visions Film Festival. The film is called Being Ginger, and the director, and I guess uh, subject, is also Scott Harris. Scott, welcome to Moving Radio. Thanks for having me. Uh, it's uh, it's great having you on the show, and uh, and always great to promote filmmakers at the Global Visions Film Festival. Uh, Scott, your title it's very telling about the film, but uh, but why don't we give the audience a little bit more of a peek into what Being Ginger is all about? Really, I, I wanted to make a film about being different, and the thing is, I'm a white heterosexual male, so I'm pretty you know middle of the road. But uh, the thing that makes me stand out is I have red hair. And I was living in Scotland, where if you're a redhead in Scotland, it's a bit rough uh, experience. And these funny things would happen to me on a sort of a regular basis, just walking down the street. And one day I decided to sort of make a film about it, sort of examine what it was like to, to be a redhead. But it ended up becoming much more a film about self-confidence issues in general and about being different in general than just my hair. But uh, yeah, it started off as a, as a film about a redhead looking for love. Uh, the film we're talking about, of course, is Being Ginger. It's screening on Saturday, May 10th at 5.30 p.m. as part of Global Visions Film Festival. You said this is about a, a man looking for love <laughs> and searching for himself, maybe. Did it, did it kind of, like, frighten you a little bit to to be on the other side of the camera so much? Because it seems like you're pulling double duty so much and and tough to do that maybe sometimes because you got to rely on everybody else to to kind of, you know, look at you objectively, because that's got to be hard for yourself. Tell me a little bit about that experience of being in front and behind the camera. I was lucky that the people I was working with were friends of mine who knew what they were doing, that I had a lot of trust and respect for. So it actually wasn't that frightening. Mostly, I also knew I was going to be the one to edit it. So that made me feel more willing to try everything, because if I did something that didn't work, I would just never show it to anybody. I think that helped a lot, that and working with people that I, that I trusted and respected. So it wasn't that hard. I guess the, the, hard, the hard part became editing and being able to be objective with, does this need to go in or not? Because the film does become very personal, and it, I, it does become a bit emotional at, at points. And I was very nervous about making decisions about whether or not certain scenes belonged in the film or not. But again, I just I, I had a, a really good network of, of friends and colleagues to to test stuff with and to, and to get feedback and was happy with the way that it came out. Yeah, and I think the, the interesting thing about this is not only are you looking really hard in the mirror, 
but now, well, also literally in the film, uh, but as well, yeah. you got to go through the process of editing it, and then now you're on the other side of that, of the process of showing it to people and leaving yourself kind of open for their own interpretations or criticism or whatever it might be for you. Is that a different kind of journey, too? And were you happy that you've kind of gone down this road and, and kind of looked at yourself that closely? Well, I'm definitely happy that I did it. Uh, I have no regrets about doing it. Reading uh, reviews from critics is always interesting because what they're, they're, they're looking at the film as sort of almost as an academic thing as, as a critic. And, and for me, what they're looking at is my own real life. And so to, to hear someone or to read someone reducing this part of my life down to two sentences is a bit strange. I thoroughly enjoyed it. And the most rewarding part of having made the film is screening it and going to screenings and talking to people afterwards and having not only redheads, but non-redheads come up to me and tell me that they had self-confidence issues because they're really tall or they're really short or because they had glasses and got teased in school or because of any number of reasons that kids get bullied. That, that they felt connected to the story that I was telling in my film. And that has been so rewarding that it's made the whole process worthwhile. We're speaking on the phone today with Scott Harris. The film is called Being Ginger, and it's screening as part of Global Visions Film Festival on Saturday, May 10th at 5.30 p.m. Scott, and I guess for any filmmaker, you want to do ultimately work that's personal, that uh, that speaks to you. Do you think that you, I mean, learned even more of a lesson through this process of doing something that was so deeply personal? My favorite artwork, and, and I hate like I hate when filmmakers try and make themselves out to be artists, but my favorite writers, my favorite artists, my favorite musicians, that all of their work is really personal. And sometimes you can you can hide it better than other times. You don't realize that that a certain writer is really writing about themselves, but but I think most of the really great work is. I think you have to put part of yourself into what you're doing, and I guess that's what I did, and definitely learned a whole lot about myself by doing it. And I think I actually found out that I had way more self-confidence than I thought I did, because at the start of the film, I thought I was a wreck and I had no self-confidence. But in reality, there's no way I could have put myself on screen for a 70-minute-long film if I didn't have any self-confidence. It was sort of a discovery process. Yeah, and I, I think that's good, too. I mean, that kind of shows absolutely in, in going from the first scene itself uh, ultimately till till the end of the film, right, and the kind of journey that you take along uh, that road. Our guest today is Scott Harris. The film is called Being Ginger, and it screens as part of Global Vision's Film Festival Saturday, May 10th, 5.30 p.m., and we're crossing our fingers that Scott will be there in the flesh to be part of it. Scott, how else can people connect with the film uh, online? The film is available on my website. It's beanginger.co.uk. You can download it. It's also on iTunes. I think I, don't think, I think it's on iTunes Canada. I'm not sure if it's on iTunes Canada yet, but it's definitely available on my website, uh, which is beanginger.co.uk, and then there are a bunch of other um, extra extra footage, extra, extra things that are on the website that... Uh, people can look at. It's also on, I'm also on Facebook and Twitter. The flood. We have major flooding happening at this hour in and around Calgary. From Camor to Coleman, communities are battling rising waters. All of the sled was canceled. And that was really surprising until I turned on the news and saw the flooding. Basically, tsunami came to Calgary, ruined everybody's day, including ours. 
Joining me on the phone today on Moving Radio is a local filmmaker, and he's going to have his film Shred Island as part of the Global Visions Film Festival. It's going to be screening on Saturday, May 10th at 9.30 p.m. at the Alberta Art Gallery. Welcome to the show, Mac Lamaru. Thanks for having me. Uh, very good to have you here. I mean, we, we are quite shameless about how much local content we like to have on the show, for sure. So it's good to have you here, Mac. Well, that's a good mandate to have. Local content is important. <laughs> uh, for anybody maybe that hasn't heard of Shred Island, or maybe wasn't even there last year, because, I mean, it all came together so quickly, tell us a little bit about what that event was and, uh, and, and you know, how that connects directly to the documentary that you made. Well, it was, as you said, kind of a blank-and-you-miss-it event. So what happened was, last year, as we all know, Calgary suffered the really terrible flooding. And what was occurring was that during that time, a major music festival that focuses primarily on independent music called Sled Island, which has about 30,000 attendees, typically, was happening right at the time of the flooding. It got one day in, and then it was cancelled, and all of these bands and these attendees were left scrambling. Some of the bands couldn't even make it home because they were going to be primarily focusing on getting their merch sales in order to pay for their trip home. And so what ended up happening was that five music promoters in Edmonton, Craig Martell of the Wonder Bar, Aaron Getz of Hot Plains, uh, Linda Hall of Barber Hall, and Andrew Yastishan uh, and Mark Hayes of the band Arrows, came together and they, in about five hours, planned a three-day music festival. And I was lucky enough to be there with my camera to film it. So maybe uh, talk to us a little bit about this journey of like how quickly it came together for you and, uh, and what you had to do to prepare to be able to shoot that quickly and, and, you know, kind of, I guess, organize the logistics for yourself. I mean, this is totally guerrilla, right? Yeah. You, you just went in there and was like, I'm not sure it's on the fly. Uh, it was pretty crazy. I was in talks with Craig Martell because I'm a big fan of the Edmonton music scene. I would think it's one of the best in the world, definitely one of the best in Canada. And I've been talked with him about maybe doing a little documentary on the Wonder Bar because it's one of the hubs of Edmonton music. And I saw on Facebook, he posted Roll Call, let's move this to Edmonton. And I wrote him and I said, I'm going to be there with my camera. And I was on the road. I packed up all my gear and I met them there at Barber Hall and just kind of planned it on the fly and filmed on the fly and didn't stop shooting for three days. So uh, tell us a little bit about what uh, what were some of the great experiences for you. I mean, clearly you saw some fantastic music, but what else, uh, I guess, about that festival translated for you and kind of rounds out the film for you? I think it's just the fact that these five people were able to take such a negative thing and make something just a little positive out of out of it. it none of the mu- none of the money generated from the festival went to any of the promoters. It all either went to the bands or flood relief. I I just found that really amazing that they were able to put in so much time and effort. And if you saw them by the end of the festival, they were completely dead. And it just warms the cockles of the heart to see something like that occur. We're speaking on the phone today with Mac Lamaru. He's got warm cockles, and he's also <laughs> the director. The warmest. That's right. They are very, very, very warm. Uh, the director of Shred Island is a documentary uh, that focuses on a festival that was here last year that kind of tried to replace, I guess, or at least uh, pick up the slack from the uh, Sled Island, which got dismantled last year. The film itself is going to be screening on Saturday, May 10th, and that's going to be at 9.30 p.m. at the Alberta Art Gallery as part of the Global Visions Film Festival. So, uh, Mac... 
what were some things maybe that you got out of this, having to put everything together so quickly and move so fast that maybe there were some skills for yourself or or some things that you kind of like, you know, learned throughout the process of, of filming these three to five days? Well, with making a documentary like this, it's definitely, you can, it's almost got a romantic notion to it because you can't replay any of the actual events if you, you only have one opportunity to catch that one special moment, which was, it, it really kind of sharpened my eye for looking for those. And I think one moment that's maybe only five seconds in the film that occurs about halfway completely speaks for the entire documentary to me and how I kind of improved in seeing things that I need to capture is when someone walked in actually still wet from the flood and he was playing that night. The guy that was actually playing uh, Shred Island at that moment on stage got off, and they were really good friends, got off stage and went and hugged his friend because he had no idea what was occurring. And he had no idea if his friend was okay. He had no idea if this band was even going to make it to Edmonton to play. And it was just for me finding those special little moments and filming them from the proper angle and filming them technically correct but still capturing that magic. Well, I hope I improved leaps and bounds by making this film. Shred Island will be online once it's done its festival run, but due to the fact that it's in festivals, it can't be online, obviously. Uh, you can find almost all of my work on my YouTube page, which is River Road Productions, or on my website, riverroadproductions.org. And if you want to really find anything out about the film, you just type Shred Island into Google, and it's about the only thing with that name, which makes it really nice. What I think makes the film so much better is I use an album by a Vancouver musician who actually played Shred Island named Johnny DeCourcy, and he was really gracious, and he let me use his music for almost a pittance of a price because we, we didn't have a very big budget for creating this. We, had a, we made it on basically a shoestring budget, and I feel that the music in the movie actually a character in itself. And so he will be playing May 16th at the... Rick's Bar and Grill, and this is one of the best musicians I've ever seen in Canada. And to see him at like such a small venue before he blows up is going to be amazing. So I'd just like to throw a little shout-out for him and a, definitely a big thank you to Johnny DeCourcy. There we go. Check him out. Johnny DeCourcy, who'll be in town six days after the screening of Shred Island. Thanks again for your time, Mac. Thanks so much. Is there anything you would want to learn from the internet? Could you explain a bit about this face, uh, Facebook? Facebook? Face something okay. and, and you're having to be a friend? I typed in www.email.com. Yeah, that's the problem. Have you ever heard of YouTube? Yes, I've heard of it, but I have no clue as to what it means. How many people here have used a computer? Well, Joining me on the phone today on Moving Radio is Saffron Cassidy. She is the director of Cyber Seniors. It's a film that's being featured as part of the Global Visions Film Festival. It's going to screen on Sunday, May 11th at 12 p.m. Saffron, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me. It's great having you on the show. And uh, Cyber Seniors, I have to tell you, like we were just saying before we uh, you know, got started recording, is fun. It's uplifting. It is great. <laughs> it was just uh, heartwarming, the very definition of it. Maybe uh, I know the title seems painfully obvious, but maybe we should just let the audience know exactly what Cyber Seniors is all about. Well, Cyber Seniors is about a program uh, where senior citizens are taught how to use the Internet uh, through the guidance of teenage mentors. 
so, I mean, I think that's the great thing about this is that you, you take this really simple premise of the idea of like um, elderly people, technology. It seems like a really obvious uh, make for the story. But the key really for me was bringing in those kids and how they connected and, and the relationships that they form with them as well. Um, maybe discuss with us a little bit about your journey going through this film and, and the actual making the film and seeing those relationships develop and what that meant for you and what that meant for the subjects in the film. At first we thought, you know, this would be a very entertaining subject for a documentary because the generation gap between these groups is just so huge. Like, you know, you have teenagers who grew up using the Internet and senior citizens who a lot of them have never used a computer at all. So you put them both together, together in front of a computer screen and funny things are bound to happen. But um, we noticed a lot of, you know, heartwarming stories coming out of this as well. A lot of these senior citizens are socially isolated, so giving them the ability to connect really, really has the power to change their lives. And um, by connecting them with these teenagers, you really get to see this generation gap kind of narrow. They come together and they realize that they have more in common than they once thought. We're speaking on the phone today with Saffron Cassidy. The film is called Cyber Seniors. It's screening on Sunday, May 11th at 12 p.m. as part of the Global Visions Film Festival. You know, traditionally when you're going through and doing a documentary film, you have to shoot hours and hours of footage. And one of the things that that I find, at least when I talk to filmmakers, is they're always waiting for the moment for things to turn. Do you know what I mean? Where they can like, okay, now we're starting to have our ending, or at least what I foresee to be the ending of the film. I don't know that this film necessarily kind of gravitates towards that, right? As much as there's no surprise or shock of something weird that's going to happen. You know, it, it pretty well lays it out for you there. And it's more about that emotional journey. Um, was that just as satisfying as like, you know, having to work so hard to try to find an ending for the film? Is it just be like, yeah, we're going to complete these stories with these people and, and how this affected their lives? Um, Well, we were definitely looking for some sort of button ending throughout the process. You know, we were kind of hoping, wouldn't it be so funny if one senior becomes an expert in online gaming or if one senior, you know, falls in love? Um, The story that we did end up pursuing is one senior creates a YouTube video and the rest of the seniors are so inspired to make their own YouTube video. And it turns into this whole competition of them all making their own YouTube videos. And in the end, we crown the winner of the Cyber Seniors YouTube channel. So for us, that was kind of the button ending where we could, you know, raise the stakes a little bit. And it gave them all a reason for being online. It was, you know, watching each other's videos, competing for comments and likes and making sure that their videos get as many hits as possible. Most of the funny stuff really kind of comes from that, I thought, as well, because you you almost predict the the whole idea of like, oh, I'm not sure how to use this stuff or I'm a little bit hesitant about it. But once they started to really embrace it and how their own personalities came out through that, I thought was great. Um, but what I liked is that I was just like, yeah, I wasn't waiting for something tragic or terrible to happen. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It, it was like it was like that idea of just the contest was simple enough and and poignant enough about how they'd embraced it that I thought it was just a, a great way to you know kind of find a nice, gentle, simple way to end it without it having to to work out kind of poorly for anybody or have some kind of deep emotional hook, at least yeah. not in a negative way, right? Well, I've seen a few documentaries recently that really talk about, you know, the dangers of the Internet and how the Internet is turning us all into these zombies. Um, And I just think it's a very pessimistic way to look at it. I mean, with everything, there's two sides to it. But I think the Internet really has the power to bring people together, and that's what we wanted to focus on this film. So, yeah, we definitely chose a more uplifting way of looking at it. 
how difficult is it to not fall in love with these people, Saffron? Because <laughs> I kind of did a little bit. <laughs> oh, we totally fell in love with all of our characters. We were really lucky. I mean, we got really funny, quick-witted senior citizens. And um, even the teenagers are in the film who are just, you know, they're they're funny and they're they have patience and they're caring, and I think that they, you know, really do some good PR work for teenagers all over the place, showing us that teenagers can be, you know, really great kids. We're speaking on the phone today with Saffron Cassidy. Uh, the film we're discussing is called Cyber Seniors. Uh, you're going to want to check it out. Uh, whether you're in tow with a senior or not, it's going to be worth your while, trust me. It's on Sunday, May 11th at 12 p.m., and that's all part of the Global Visions Film Festival. Uh, Saffron, you know, hopefully people are intrigued by what they were talking about and what they've been hearing from you. How else can people connect with the film uh, beyond just being there on May 11th? Uh, well, our website is cyberseniorsdocumentary.com, and um, we have tons of clips up there from the film and uh, tons of information on upcoming screenings. And, um, yeah, I mean, we're screening on May 11th, which is Mother's Day, so it's a perfect opportunity to bring out your mom or bring out your grandma for, you know, a day at the movies. And it's a fun film that the entire family hopefully will enjoy. Saffron, thank you so much for uh, taking the time to talk to us today. Best of luck with Cyber Seniors uh, on your, on your you know, festival trail as you're blazing and beyond <laughs> that as well. And uh, best of luck in the future. Great. Thank you so much. Is there anybody in here with me? It doesn't matter what you do. Can't hide. This is the church I used to come to. I was praying for my God to help me, and he never came. And I was looking for payback. Someone had to pay for everything that's happened to me. That's when I said, I've got to form this group. Okay, can you back away from it for a minute and make it stop flickering, please? Oh, that's my mom up there joking on TV. Like, my friends think it's all cool, but I'm the one sitting there like, yeah, that's my mom. Every day, I have to take pills for my conditions. Joining me on the phone today is one of the filmmakers who is going to have their work featured as part of the Global Visions Film Festival. It's Sean Cisterna, and the film itself is called 30 Ghosts. It's going to be playing on Sunday, May 11th at 8 p.m. at the Art Gallery of Alberta as part of the Global Visions Film Festival. Welcome to the show, Sean. Thank you very much. Happy to be here. Yes, very nice. It's your, uh, your second time after you did Moon Point, which was part of the EIFF, and now you've got a documentary as part of the Global Visions Film Festival. Yes, Alberta has been wonderful to me so far, <laughs> so it's, uh, I'm very happy to be coming back. Well, I'm hoping that we can, we can continue to be kind to you, that's for sure, Sean. <laughs> uh, the film itself is called 30 Ghosts, and uh, it's based on a quote by Arthur C. Clarke, or as they say in the trailer, uh, I believe she says, some guy. Uh, right. <laughs> so, so, yeah. So uh, maybe tell us a little bit about uh, what 30 Ghosts is all about. 30 Ghosts is the story of Kim Hadfield, and she's this eccentric um, rural horse farmer out in, in uh, you know rural Ontario. And her, her main passion happens to be uh, paranormal investigating, like in, uh, investigating spirits, going, going into abandoned houses and, and doing that sort of thing and, and seeking the unknown and that's that's her driving force her her main passion it's, it's a year we chronicle her over a year of intense struggle and uh she just has a lot of ups and downs in her life like more more conflict than you could ever imagine that one person can go through it's not so much a story of, of ghost hunting if you're looking for one of those reality tv type shows it's more about the 
you know, the daily pressures that, that mount on this one person and then to see how much she can go through just to, and, you know, fulfill her dream of, of uh, you know, investigating for spirits. Well, that's what I was going to say. I mean, it seems like there's a, a much broader dynamic to it than the actual ghost hunting, right? Uh, which I thought, and it plays really clearly in the trailer as well, which I think is the good thing about the film and maybe um, makes it translate to a, a bigger audience and have a little bit more heart to it. Maybe could you talk to us a little bit uh, about Kim herself and maybe how you got connected with her, how you met her, and, and why you decided to do 30 Ghosts about her? I first heard uh, her and um, her group on a CBC radio show, and I, I found them very intriguing because usually, you know, when you think of ghost hunters, at least for me, I think of uh, a group of guys going into like an abandoned house and having a bunch of thrills. But this was a, a mostly a female group, and, and Kim as their leader. So, and they were charming and funny on the radio. So I decided to seek them out and see what they were like in person, and uh, they just <laughs> exceeded my um, uh, expectations when I met them. I mean, you know, she's a self professed uh, Luciferian, which she worships Lucifer. That was intriguing, you know, having someone say that at our, you know, our first encounter. And, you know, if I didn't do the documentary, she'd put a satanic curse on me. So, I, you know, when you meet someone for the first time, you're not quite sure, you know, whether they're telling the truth or not. So that was uh, the first, the first meeting was, you know, enough to, to hook me in to, to want to know a bit more about them and, and hang out with the group. And, so I fell in love with the group. I mean, they have such a unique dynamic. They're they're funny. They're charming, and they're they put whatever resources, whatever little resources they have, into their passion. This is the thing that I found that was probably the most intriguing about it is that. And probably even for yourself in meeting Kim for the first time, you must have thought, well, I've got a pretty good hook here as to what I can find in the story. She has her own personal journey that she has to go through. How difficult is it for you maybe going through that, you know, filming her and having to see um, the issues that she has and having to watch her and knowing that ultimately you're just there to document things. Do you know what I mean? Like how, how difficult was it for you to kind of keep that distance between yourself and Kim as a subject and what was happening? That was tough because that at every, at every point in the production, I mean, Kim would open up um, so much, far more than anyone else, I think would have, uh, have done on the camera. So I give like certain kudos to, to her for sure. It was very difficult to, to watch her, you know, talk about her, you know, mental conditions and uh, her financial struggles and her just the fact that she's been let down so many times. It, it was heartbreaking to, to watch, but at the same time, I knew as a, a viewer, it would be such compelling, you know, raw footage to, to experience someone talk about so honestly. I guess I felt a bit of a struggle there, you know, to be honest. You know, I didn't know if I, I should be recording these things and, uh, you know, but Kim just assured me that this is, you know, her her chance to, to tell her story and, you know, she encouraged the camera to be there as often as possible. It was a, a two-way, um, you know, understanding that our cameras could be there at all times throughout the throughout the year, and, and she'd be open and honest uh, when we were there. We're speaking on the phone today with Sean Cisterna, and the film that we're discussing is called 30 Ghosts. It's going to be playing on Sunday, May 11th at 8 p.m. as part of the Global Visions Film Festival. You can catch it at the Art Gallery of Alberta. Sean, I think the intriguing part about this film, too, is that you have part of it that's kind of like, ooh, 
action, familiar ghost chasing, right? And then times when you have to be um, a little bit more poignant when you're examining these people as who they really are. Did you ever kind of have this idea of like when you're shooting that you're like, I have to kind of shoot in different styles or the way I'm going to cut it later on once you got to it? Or were you like, no, I'm just going to try and make this straight ahead and not make it look like every other paranormal activity ripoff? When we first sort of greenlit the project. We were very much shooting for like a reality TV, something very sellable, but it quickly became apparent that we'd be just document, we'd be making up things as we go along just to ensure that we hit those reality TV type scares. And that's when the, the project project just shifted and, and focused on a, on a poignant chronicle of one person's, uh, one person's, you know, year, year in the life of. We did you know, initially hoped that there would be some sort of, I guess, proof or video proof of the the paranormal. But when Kim's personal struggles took over, and it was clear that that was the main conflict driving the film, that's when we we really focused our our efforts on on documenting her story. Now that uh, people's curiosity is peaked, I know that one way that they can check out more about the film and uh, watch the trailers at SeanSisterna.com, your website. How else can people connect with the film 30 Ghosts and with yourself? Um, we have a Facebook and, and Twitter account, that 30 Ghost movie. Um, and uh, you can also reach out to us, the filmmakers as well. So I'm on Facebook and Twitter. I'm easily accessible. Uh, I know Halt and Paranormal, like Kim and her team, are also active Facebookers and Twitterers. Uh, if you want to reach out to them directly as well, they would love to hear from you. We're all very reachable people in Canada. That is true. That is true. <laughs> Our guest today is Sean Cisterna. The film is 30 Ghosts. Make sure you go check it out Sunday, May 11th, 8 p.m. as part of the Global Visions Film Festival. That about wraps it up for this week's edition of Moving Radio. If you want to check out the films that we were talking about, all you need to do is get your tickets to the Global Visions Film Festival. You can see Being Ginger on Saturday, May 10th, as well as Shred Island. One is at Metro Cinema, the other at the Art Gallery of Alberta, as well 30 Ghosts is going to be screening Sunday, May 11th, as is Cyber Seniors. But there's a whole lot more to check out at the festival, so uh, make sure you dial them up online, see what the schedule's like, and what appeals to you. But don't turn that dial, ladies and gentlemen, because coming up next is 30 minutes of the finest in feminist radio on CJSR.